You never include the bum 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 bum. Hello, and welcome to the Meet Your Heroes podcast. My name is Elliot, and I'm Audrey. And this is the podcast where we ignore the conventional wisdom and get to know what big squares your heroes really are. Huge squares, big drips. Big drips. Drips is a good one. <laughs> drips is a good one. Favorite, my favorite insult. Call someone boring. Yeah. Um, today's episode, another total mystery to me. Audrey's walking in here, looking real confident, honestly. Real smug. Yeah. yeah real smug. Strolling in here, feeling good. Yeah, I think just, you're going to be surprised. I don't think you could guess this person if you had a thousand guesses. Here are my thousand guesses. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Never. Number two. Jesus' father, Joseph. <laughs> Less biblical. Okay. 20th century. I'm going to save us some time and say, I don't think I'm going to get this. Who are we getting to know today? Well, the person we're getting to know is certainly not boring. Okay. Uh, A little unexpected. Hmm. Coco Chanel. Ooh, Coco Chanel. Yeah. It does not strike me as somebody boring. She was not boring, as as you will learn. Um, But when you hear Coco Chanel, what does strike you? Okay, so I think uh, fashion. I think mm-hmm. this this logo that mm-hmm. you see very fancy places. Also, bootlegged a lot. Yeah, <laughs> also in the trunk of cars sure. being sold on the street. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure, for uh, sure. But I think uh, Chanel Number no. 5, right? That's a perfume. The perfume, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I got to say, I don't actually know a lot more specific than that but i get the general like i have the impression of glamour and Mm -hmm. fashion and project runway type stuff stuff (laughs) you know she was that and so much more so we're going to today um go back and explore not what people think about her like what how the associations we have with her now the glamour etc we're gonna deep dive into how she got there how she got to that like label of glamour and really what it cost her and lots of people around her let me guess a lot a lot okay yeah let's do it okay so coco chanel was born in 1883 in france she was born gabrielle bono chanel she was the second of two daughters born in the same year or within a 12-month period okay yeah that's that's fast french irish twins (laughs) well yes yes 12 daughters though no a two two daughters in 12 months two in 12 months 12 12 daughters in two months is is quite the uh it's quite a litter quite a, a litter of babies um she was born her mother was a laundry woman and her father was an itinerant which means traveling i had to look that up an itinerant street vendor who sold underwear, basically. Oh, so... Work clothes and underwear. Just selling underwear wherever he wants. Right. The legacy of textiles in yes. Chanel's family. Um, as you could imagine, being born to a um, 19-year-old laundry woman in a traveling underwear salesman, she grew up very poor, and her family was nomadic for large parts of her childhood. 
I mean, you got to go where the underwear sales are going to be, right? You got to, right? <laughs> People can only go through so much underwear before you have to move. It's true. Honestly, I feel like it's kind of similar to the mattress uh, cartels oh, yeah. that are always <laughs> going saying they're going out of business. <laughs> they're just moving around because once you sell the mattresses one place, you got to go sell your mattresses slash launder your money somewhere else. That's right. That's right. Um her parents eventually have three more children. So there's five kids. There's two daughters and then three boys. When Chanel was 12, her 32-year-old mother died. Um, at the time, people said she died of tuberculosis. It's sort of the story that Coco tells. But really, uh, she more likely died because they were very poor and she couldn't have she didn't have access to health care she did have pneumonia but she also had five very complicated pregnancies things didn't really go so great for her hard knock life plus hard knock life terminal lack of money Mm -hmm. yeah which um actually adds to the hard and the knock yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes no money life gets extra hard and extra knocky um when her mom died her two brothers were sent away to work as farm laborers So keep in mind, Coco Mm -hmm. was the second child born. She was only 12, which means her three now farm worker brothers are young children. They're just shipped away to be laborers. Her father couldn't handle it. Um, Wait, they just sent the kids. They didn't like move the family. They just sent the kids away. They sent the three boys to be farm laborers. And then the two girls were sent to a convent that uh, doubled as an orphanage. Ah, what? Yeah, I mean, after a long, hard day of selling underwear, you can't come home to five unruly children and take care of them. So you're just going to come home to none, I guess. None. Zero. So um, she's at this convent slash orphanage. She's 12. Uh, That's where she starts to learn to sew. She spends six years there. So and then she turns 18. She leaves the orphanage and she goes to a region in France called Moulin. It looks like Moulin Rouge, but with an S on the end of Moulin. Um, That's where she worked as a seamstress in a dress shop. And she sang cabaret at night. So she was a performer who uh, entertained the crowd between legitimate acts. So she was kind of like a time filler. Okay. Um, Wait, what what kind of performances is she doing here? Singing. Okay. Performing cabaret, she's just singing. Um, That's where she actually got the nickname Coco. Up until that point, she had still been Gabrielle. She, uh, her go-to song was called um, Who Has Seen Coco? And so when the regulars uh, came back to the bar, they would just chant Coco when she came out and she would sing it. She really wanted to be a performer. And so she spent a while pursuing that career, but her singing voice uh, (laughs) was noted as being marginal. Okay. Um, but she was a, a crowd pleaser. She was petite and young, and the uh, military clientele that she performed for were, quote-unquote, tantalized by her. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So she's out. She's earning a living. She's it's her against the world. No family. By 23, she realized she wouldn't be a singer. Um just wasn't in the cards for her. Fortunately for her, she had begun a years-long affair with a very rich French cavalry officer and textile heir. His name was uh, Etienne Balson, and um, 
so they have this affair. He's in French fabrics. He um, owns horses. These are like two of Coco's very favorite things. The third, of course, being very rich men. Yes. So <laughs> fabrics, horses, rich men. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can't make it as a singer. I mean, okay, redistribute that wealth. Get it. Do what you have to do. So yeah, she is um, in this affair with this wealthy businessman. She gets really bored. And so Balsan, Mm -hmm. his way of dealing with this, which was um, typical of the time, was to just like buy her business. And he was like, go do this while I'm away and busy and working on my fabrics. Faster than a hobby, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's traveling, he's working. He helps her set up a get set up as a milliner. So she's making hats. Wait. A milliner is the term for a hat maker? Milliner. M I L L I N E R. Milliner. I learned a new word today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Could... sure there's some French pronunciation to that. Milliner. I just That could be it. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, my best. Well, there's er on the end, so it would technically be pronounced a. Oh, you don't say er. That's why I said million. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Um. So, given her sewing abilities, the profession as a hat maker is a really good fit. It's a creative outlet, and she's very good at it. Great. So, so she's making hats now. She's making because hats because she got out of the nightclub scene and married the rich guy who was like, go entertain yourself with some hat making. She she never married. Oh. So so it's actually around this time of the hat making that she meets one of Balsan's best friends. And this man's name is Arthur. His nickname is Boy uh, Capel. So Boy Capel. Um, it should be noted that although Coco has a series of very noted affairs with very powerful and wealthy men throughout her life. Okay. Do what you're going to do. Uh, this is the only time she falls in love. Uh, Boy Capel is the love of her life. Okay. Um, he is as wealthy or if not more wealthy than her current uh, partner, Balsan. And um, Boy Capel is like, hey, go to Paris. I'll get you an apartment. Let's do this thing together. Leave my friend. Leave my friend. So he buys her an apartment and he buys her a brick and mortar hat store on like the most well-known shopping street in the city. Ah, so you you might be with my friend, but I will get you an mm-hmm. even better hat store. I will. Yes. I'll get you a building for your hats. Right. <laughs> uh, in later years, Chanel would reminisce of this time in her life by saying, Quote, it was great because two gentlemen were outbidding for my hot little body. Well, to the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's exactly what was happening. So thank you for confirming it. But yeah, she eventually chooses Boy Capel, Balsan, goodbye, on to your next mistress. Um, And a lot of Coco's most well-known designs were inspired by this time in her life and in her relationship with him. So the C's, the like iconic C, mm-hmm. lots of people think, oh, right, Coco Chanel. But it is rumored that it's actually Capel and Chanel. Mm. Like just a nod to him. Um, it's 1910 at this point. She's got a successful hat shop. 
She's traveling a lot with Boy Capel, and she is meeting aristocrats all over France. So remember, she is just this poor country girl who, through a series of relationships with very wealthy, powerful men, gets set up into the socialite circles. Um, she is noting that, unlike a lot of the clothing of the people from these rural towns that she grew up in, mm-hmm. the uh, clothing for women of high society is very rigid. It's very prohibitive, and uh, it's very like restrictive. Okay. Coco is most noted, like her fame for all of the other things, the perfume and the brand, that separate from that is this major contribution that she makes to women's clothing, which is that she introduces flowing dresses and soft fabrics, removes the corset. Um, And so she begins designing clothing with this goal of making fashionable clothes for women of means that were as comfortable as the clothing that their male partners were wearing. And so she's got this in. She's like, come on, ladies, this is a revolution. She is like, she doesn't, it's not even a hard sell. She just like shows up with Boy Capel and she's like, who wants my dresses? And all the ladies are like, oh, we do. Compared to corsets, these feel great. Yep. Um, It's 1913. She decides to open a boutique in this resort town of um, Deauville. It looks like Deauville. That's how it's. In case there are actual people who care about real geography <laughs> and the facts. Look Why that are up. you listening to this <laughs> podcast right. again? We have to tell you there's much better podcasts we'd be listening to. Yes. So this shop is financed by Bo- Boy Capel, obviously. Um, at this point, they've been together three, four years. She uh, debuts what she calls deluxe casual clothing suitable for leisure and sport. And I got that quote from uh, businessoffashion.com. I just want to make sure that they're credited. I got a lot of my information from them, uh, as well as Wikipedia today. But more from them, uh, they note that she chose the right moment in time to debut this apparel line. The 1914 to 1918 war (laughs) was not a time for extravagance. That would be... World War One. That's the one. For those of mm-hmm. you who weren't alive at that time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's World War One. It's not a time for extravagance. And the the need to um, be more frugal and sort of um, for posterity's sake, you don't want to be like, right, the Roaring Twenties are about to come, but right before that, it's a little more buttoned up. Um, but it because of that, women were more receptive to this simplicity, this um, casual attitude and design than they otherwise might have been. She spends a few years designing and selling her goods at her shop there. She's hoping this entire time that the love of her life, Boy Capel, will settle down and marry her. He does not. In fact, he uh, marries another woman. Ooh. Rough. Yep. Um, And just like he was never faithful to Coco, he is not faithful to this woman he marries and he maintains an affair with Coco up until the day he dies in 1919. So he has the audacity (laughs) to go ahead and marry somebody else. They sure do. And it's not just him, it's men. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Did you mean to say men have the audacity? He marries somebody else, mm-hmm. but does not end the relationship. Frankly, she's okay with this too, I guess, because mm-hmm. very French of them. Yeah, I don't know what the arrangement was that could have been absolute consensual non-monogamy. Don't know. Didn't really get into it. He marries another woman, still with Coco. He dies in a car crash, and Coco has a bit of a moment. It's the end of World War One. The love of her life has just died. Oh, he dies, like, shortly thereafter, a couple years later. Mm-hmm. The entire country is mourning, right? It's, um... To be clear, they're mourning all the people that died in World War One. Oh, not yeah, just not him. him. Yes. Yeah, okay. very <laughs> few people are mourning him. Um, but it's just, like, a moment in France where Coco essentially has to decide, like, am I going to be scrappy, fight it out, make this life for myself? Because this is a dude that was bankrolling her. The dude that was bankrolling her. And the last dude that bankrolled her, she left that dude for this mm-hmm. guy, so she kind of burned that bridge. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so this is where she gets really scrappy, right? She uh, <laughs> essentially swears off men, except for those who can financially help her. Again, not my place to judge. She was pretty explicit about the fact that she enjoyed both sex and success, and wealthy men could provide her both. Um, don't know what she likes better, getting paid or getting laid. All <laughs> right. she knows is when she's getting one. The other's getting away. It's true. Um, yes. I Kanye was those, probably those inspired are... by Coco to write those lyrics. Oh, I thought that was in the Bible. Is that Kanye? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Kanye, verse one, chapter <laughs> six. Who knows? Um, Jesus is king. Okay, keep going. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, biographies of Coco really talk about the way that she leverages her relationship with men in like a negative way right they're like oh she slept her way to the top these were powerful men she manipulated them like maybe okay but like they mostly knew what they signed up for also i get of all the things that she's going to be doing this is not what we're Mm -hmm. hanging our uh yeah hanging our real deep insight in right think of a different way to say it i get the impression that of all the things she did that are going to make us question her hero status, this is not this is not the ones that we we're going to take issue with. No, she's just getting hers. Yes. And um, I'm going to shit talk her a lot here in about like one page, but I just want to provide a little bit of validation or like vindication for her as a woman who made the life she wanted for herself using the means that she had. That's it. Put a period in that. Lots of sex, lots of powerful men. Um, and it's right on the, like, 1919, 1920, right on the cusp of a series of major successes for her. The 1920s were uh, the time when she had her first big, uh, big breakthroughs. 1921, she opens this fashion boutique in Paris finally Paris. She's back. It's not just a hat shop. It's a whole series of shops on this street. Um, Clothing, fashion, all of that. It's this time that she also created Chanel Number 5, which is her most famous perfume. Mm -hmm. Um, Arguably the most famous perfume in the world, both then and now. Wait, can I ask where did after he died what happened that got her to a row of things, a row of shops 
in Paris because like she was like struggling. Presumably, there's her funder. So then, oh, yeah, I mean, she wasn't struggling. She was a, a successful designer and clothing maker at the time. It was just that she now lost her like in socialite status, and she'd been sort of on the back burner with him for a while while he was getting married. She was no longer on his arm walking into parties. She had the connections, but she just wasn't super famous at the time. Got it. Okay. Um, so she works with Ernst Bow, who was a talented perfume creator, and it's been said that he mixed up a bunch of perfumes, gave them to her in a row, and she picked the fifth one, which is why it's called Chanel Number no. 5. She designs the bottle after the whiskey decanter that Boy Capel used. So now she's got the C's, the logo, um, the bottle as a nod to him. And then in 1924, three years after introducing this perfume, Coco signs a deal with Pierre and Paul Wertheimer. They were brothers who were also the directors of one of the largest perfume and cosmetics houses in Paris. So together they create this corporate entity called uh, Parfum Chanel. Perfumes of Chanel, right? <laughs> and the this is really important to note. The Wertheimers agreed to provide full financing for the production, marketing, and distribution of Chanel No. 5. In exchange, this is a little Shark Tank moment, mm -hmm. in exchange for 70% of the profits. And this other person who had, like, brokered the deal, his name, uh, his last name is Bader, received 20%. And for 10% of the stock, Chanel licensed her name, and, but withdrew from involvement in the business operations. Okay, so that was... You're right. This seemed important. Say that all again. She, or like... Summarize it. Yeah. Summarize it for me. So Pierre and Paul, perfume house, got some money, right? They say, hey, Chanel number no. five is a big hit. You're selling it in your boutiques. We will mass produce this. We will pay for it all. But we're going to get 70% of the profits. This person who's like brokering the deal is going to get 20%. And Chanel, you can get 10% of all the profits, but please just like back off hands off we're going to deal with all of this it, it goes from being her business to being basically their business and mm -hmm. she like gets some royalties yeah essentially um around the same time so she's like climbing social status she has this perfume it's very famous she meets this woman named uh i think it's pronounced misia m-i-s-i-a her last name is cert uh she was this bohemian elite married to a famous uh spanish painter and she and Coco bonded immediately. Messia <laughs> uh, said of her friendship with Coco that she loved, quote, Coco's genius, lethal wit, sarcasm, and maniacal destructiveness, which intrigued and appalled everyone. Oh, what? A maniacal destructiveness? Mm -hmm. So they're really leaning into the roaring of the roaring 20s. Yeah, okay. So, I get that sense. Uh, they shared a lot of drug use. And um, it is at this time that she begins injecting herself with morphine on a daily basis, hmm. which is a habit that she maintains until the end of her life. Wow. So all you can inject morphine for like another 50 years. Which I'm pretty sure at the time you could just like go get at the corner store. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it seems right. This is also the time when I'm pretty sure Coca-Cola was Still like, had cocaine. Still had cocaine. Yeah. So again... <laughs> Their Roaring Twenties definitely sound better than ours currently. Yes. So I bring up this relationship with um, with Messiah, along with this other friendship 
with this woman named uh, Vera Lombardi because her connections to them, these are the first like female connections she has that get her into the door with other socialites. So she's with a bunch of powerful men who finance her work, but she hasn't fully been accepted into this like so social circle of the Parisian, Parisian elite by women, right? So she meets these women, they bond, they love her. They're like, check out this party girl. Coco is fantastic. Um, she starts to gain access to a lot of really influential people. And then she gets real shitty. So this is where Coco goes from being this um, perfume designer who is known to have a temper and be like kind of a terrible boss to an actual garbage human being. Okay, so she has, up until this point, been self-made, scrappy, started with the hats, branched into clothes, Mm -hmm. got some perfume, started some licensing deals, kind of a mogul. Yes. And then what happens? So she's 40 at this time. It's like the early 1920s. She um, starts hanging out with Winston Churchill. Winston! Your boy. (laughs) Your boy, Winston. So through Winston Churchill and Vera Lombardi, she's introduced to this person, the Duke of Westminster, Hugh Richard Arthur Grosvenor, known to his (laughs) inmates as Bender. So the Duke, as I will refer to him from this point on, lavished Chanel diamonds, jewels, just absolute wealth, all the things that Coco loves. And he buys her a home in London. The Duke was also a huge anti-Semite in the 20s in London, which is not going to lead to good things. Got it. And his outspoken dislike of Jewish people emboldened Coco's own anti-Semitism. Oh, so, okay. Getting on the bandwagon. What what we'll learn is this is not just a moment in time. It's not a blip. It's a recurring theme in her life. She's an anti-Semite and major homophobe. Uh, so the Duke shares this outright expressed homophobia. They bond over it. It's like a thing, right? Lots of people think at the time... Coco's homophobia is rooted in the fact that there are really successful gay designers all around her, and she doesn't feel very successful relative. She was quoted by uh, her friend as saying, homosexuals, I have seen young women ruined by these awful queers, drugs, divorce, scandal. They will use any means to destroy a competitor and to wreak vengeance on a woman. The queers want to be women, but they are lousy women. Ooh. 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 And and wait, like, and who's going to, they're ruining these women by. See, this is where I feel like she might be projecting a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, there's not like waves of the, the gays just walking around being like, which women to ruin now? <laughs> yes, I know, right? Um, feels, feels like she's brought a little bit of her own issues to the table there. A little bit. So she's anti-Semitic. She's homophobic. But she's inventing the little black dress. So people just brush over that part of her history right so her fashion line is growing she's with the duke she spends the 20s and 30s on the top of the fashion scene 
She starts designing for films and her brand is just booming. And then we all know what happens in France in the 1930s. The Nazis. The Nazis. The Nazis show up. Nazis come a rolling. Let's jump ahead to 1939. So at this point, she's in her mid-50s. It's the beginning of World War II. Chanel closes all her shops. She's just like, there's a war coming. I'm closing it. Um, but she does keep all of her apartments and basically all of her assets in the city. She said, it's just not a time for fashion. But uh, it was the time to fire 4,000 female employees working in her fashion uh, house. Yeah, not, not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, her biographer at the time, or her biographer later, suggests that Chanel used the outbreak of the war as an opportunity to retaliate against the workers who had, who had been on strike for higher wages and shorter work hours in the general labor strike of 1936. Ooh. So she's like, here's Nazis. It's not a time for fashion. Fuck y'all. You're out. Yikes. In closing of her couture house, Chanel made uh, public definitive statements about her political views, her dislike of Jews, um, and her association with society elites. Churchill, all of these other people had really just like sharpened her anti-Semitism. There are Nazi campaigns all across Europe. They're seizing Jewish businesses and property. There's like a law that says they can take it. They just take Jewish just businesses. Take. Okay. Coco's like, ding, ding, ding. I want my perfume back. Paul and Pierre, they're Jews. Oh, shit. The people that she licensed it to. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. So she sees this as a perfect opportunity to get back Chanel number five. Wait, the Nazis come in and she's like... Ooh, this is an opportunity. Hey, while y'all are killing everybody, can I? Can you help me with my perfume? Knock, knock. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fucking slimy yes. as shit. So she used her position as an Aryan, like explicit as an Aryan, to petition German officials to legalize her claim to sole ownership. Wait, she like wrote a letter? What? Mm. Oh, she wrote a letter. She showed up. Shit gets real heated. Uh, she goes back and forth with the Wertheimers and the government. Uh, it's 1941, so this has taken years, two years. She writes to the government and says, I have an indisputable right of priority. The profits that I have received from my creations since the foundation of this business are disproportionate, and you can help to repair the part, the prejudices I have suffered in the course of these 17 years. She literally sold this to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. They already seeing the writing on the wall, the Wertheimers, uh, as these anti-Semitic campaigns are happening all across Europe, sold their company to this man named Felix, who's just a Christian French businessman and industrialist. So uh, it should be noted at the war's end, he just gave it right on back to them. Oh, so they just like yeah, she cashed she, out, gave it to the Christians, hold on to it. But yep. So that people could not just take their Jewish property. So all this is happening. Didn't stop her from trying. No, it didn't stop her from doing even more at that same time. She was extra, extra during World War II. Mm. So it's like 1941. Coco is working as a Nazi spy. 
What? All of this information has just come to light in the past few years. But here is a little backstory. So after the Nazis took over Paris in 1940, Chanel started a romance with Baron Hans Gunther von Dinklage, uh, who was an officer in the German military intelligence. Go back a sentence. So after the Nazis took over Paris in nineteen in the nineteen or in nineteen forty, Chanel started a romance with this man named um, Baron Hans Gunther von Dinklage. Baron Dinklage, got it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to call him Dinklage from here on out. It, von Dinklage might be appropriate. Have some respect. Have some baron. respect for this, this Nazi a, officer. This Nazi's a baron. <laughs> He's a baron. So he is an officer in the German uh, intelligence, military intelligence. It's the middle of chaos in Europe. Um, but their romance meant that Coco could just move into the Paris Ritz Hotel, which at that time, had been transformed into a Nazi headquarters. She's literally sleeping with a Nazi in Nazi headquarters. Yeah. While trying to take the business she sold to a person from him because he's Jewish. Yes. So she is... This is... So this actually might be one of the shitty times that she shacks up for (laughs) safety, but she basically just, like, hooks up with this officer, rides it out, Rides out the war in his hotel room safely. No consequences for her. Um, it meant that she was allowed to stay in high society, right? Because he's a baron. But it also meant that she was protected from any sort of German hostility. At this time, um, her son, or her not her son, her nephew is imprisoned um, somewhere by the Germans. Through her connection to von Dinklage, she meets this other German officer. His name is irrelevant. He's just a person who makes some promises to her. He says, I will get your nephew out. I will get your company back. And all you have to do, I'll do all of this for you for the low, low price of becoming a Nazi spy. Becoming a Nazi? (laughs) Well, when you put it that way. Right. He's like, you're embedded in high society. No one will suspect you. You're not German. Can you go hang out with Winston Churchill, come back and let us know what they're going to do about the fact that we are uh, pillaging all of these other European countries? She's going to say yes, isn't she? She is going to say yes. Oh, jeez. Okay. (laughs) We just took it. We just cranked it to 11. So go back to the cocaine days with Churchill. She can just call him up and she's like, hey, buddy, I'm coming to London. Things are a little spotty here in Paris. Can I hang out with you? Let's grab some tea. Sure. So she does this. And because they don't know that she's sleeping with Nazis. Mm -mm. No, they sure do not. She does all this. And she's very bad at it. She (laughs) provides no good intel for the German officers. None. Which probably probably speaks to Churchill's um, ability to keep his goddamn mouth shut. I mean, yes. Frankly, I don't know if it's better or worse if you're a Nazi spy, to be a shitty Nazi spy. Right. Like, I'm kind of glad you're shitty, but it makes you right. even... It seems like it's worse. Yeah. You risk it all for what? For what? Not for oh, what? Oh, man. And so she's a Nazi spy. War ends. Uh, over the course of the next two years, she is outed as a Nazi spy. Outed in England? In all over. Everybody knows. Coco Chanel was a spy. How have I never heard this before? You've never heard this before because she went on a years-long campaign to erase all evidence of this. All of the officers that were involved, um, she did things like paid their hospital bills, 
bought their children homes, oh. got rid of all of the files, all of the paperwork. Oh, shit. All of the people who would talk, she incentivized to just shut it down. Because I imagine when this war's over and you're like, oh, these guys, these guys lost. You're like, this could be bad for business. Yes. She was brought to... Because her, her brand is literally her name. Mm-hmm. The name of a Nazi spy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it is... It is incomprehensible that that we don't know this or we didn't know this because she was brought to like a public court and they were like, hey, Coco, you were a spy. What's up with that? Why is it not? Yeah. Why? Why is this Chanel just not the Nazi spy brand? Because she just was as shady as she could possibly fucking be. Yes. Yes. So all this happens. It's now the 50s. Uh, About a decade after the war. Coco has the audacity to relaunch the House of Chanel. Yeah. Wow. Inexplicably. Except for reasons that are only tied to financial gain. The Wertheimers financed her company. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. After after she spent the war using using her connections with the Nazis she was sleeping with to try to steal the company from them because they were Jewish. Yes. They say... Sure, we'll give you the startup funds? Yes. Wow. And here's why. Um, her brand was toxic in France. People were like, no, don't buy the Nazi shit. You're, you're that Nazi spy lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nazi spy lady. But uh, with international press, there's like a booming uh, economy in the United States in the 50s. All of these women are now housewives. They need very specific fashion. Her uh, collection, the way that she was sewing, classic lines, uh, very distinct, was seen as like breakthrough fashion that Jackie Kennedy wore. All of these like American women essentially made Coco Chanel's brand what it is. Be Okay. That this is stunning to me. Yes. So, in conclusion, <laughs> all of this happens. She's seventy. She relaunches her brand. A few years later, she's putting together the spring catalog. She goes, does her little morphine thing, talks to her nurse, and was like, "I'm gonna go die tonight." And Wait. then she just dies. Wow, I forgot she kept this morphine thing going the whole time. Yes, that's right. Yes, she apparently is like walking up the stairs and says to her housekeeper, "And this is how you die." And then she just dies that night. Um, I want to make an important note that even though she was a Nazi and her brand, for better or worse, still lives on. There's a lot of shit that has gone on with the Chanel brand over the years, including still perpetuated uh, misogyny and homophobia, lots of stuff. But uh, boycotting it would be mostly ineffectual. And that is because the vast majority of the company is still owned by the Wertheimers. So you can still buy Chanel Number no. 5 with a clear conscience. Because... They own it all. Wow. Okay, so I so I kind of get the move. The, the move for their startup money for her was not... It was them basically being like, yeah, we'll, we'll still own you. Mm-hmm. We will still own you. Wow. Yeah. So they controlled it. They still own uh, Chanel... And so there you have it. Success is the best revenge. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, so, yeah, Coco Chanel, not the hero that you would think. And not the, not the glamour 
you would imagine for someone whose entire brand is built on glamour. I have to say, of all of the fashion brands um, that I can think of, this one had much more Nazi spying than this <laughs> So far. So far as we know. As far as I know. Now I really, I'm very curious about the rest of them. Yep. That's why you should never meet your heroes. Indeed. All right. So, if folks like this episode, what could they do? They could... Buy Chanel number no. 5, support <laughs> a Jewish-owned business. They could go outside and be peacefully content with their good fortune to have found us. Mm-hmm. It's true. They could, um, in an effort to support sustainability, not buy Chanel, buy from a thrift shop. Yes. So, they could do that. Take that, Coco. Here's my $6 jeans. <laughs> they could also... They could also... Uh, Head to social media and tell all of their friends these same things. Or, better yet, they could tell all of their friends to listen to us say all of these same things on the podcast. Love that idea. Twitter and Facebook. No. Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. At Your Heroes Pod. At Your Heroes Pod. Or the website MeetYourHeroesPodcast.com. If folks are listening to this, it seems likely that they've downloaded this on iTunes or Stitcher also find it on soundcloud keep keep doing what you're doing please rate review share what should they not do until next time don't be a nazi spy well and and (laughs) don't be a hero bye